Good afternoon and welcome to Forest Fires. My name is John Clark. In this podcast, we're going to talk about one of the most dangerous aspects of any recovering addict or alcoholic's recovery journey, the plateau. It's bound to happen. For many of us, once we get past the detox phase of our recovery journey, we enter a period where we see noticeable changes and we feel good about everything that's happening around us. It can be a challenging period, but it's also a rewarding one. While we still remember the drugs and the alcohol, we begin to feel better physically. Perhaps you begin to look in the mirror and see noticeable physical changes. Your skin is beginning to improve, your hair looks better, and there's a general appearance of health that's returning. Happiness, a concept that seemed so foreign a short time ago, begins to return to your life. We begin to notice positive changes in our relationships and our work life. Many people in recovery call this the pink cloud phase. The pink cloud phase is simply a period where all the good things that come from recovery are new and fresh. It's like a kid with a new toy. Every day you're excited to find something new about your recovery journey, and you can't wait to explore it more. This early stage of recovery can be compared to the early stages of a diet or a workout routine. Yes, you are sore, and yes, you miss the junk food, but you see the changes in the mirror. And thus, you're motivated to keep pushing, to keep dieting, and to keep working out. What happens, though, when the positive changes become less evident? When we look in the mirror and we don't notice any big changes from one day to the next? When we make progress quickly, we feel good. In some way, the progress becomes similarly addictive as did the substances that we're trying to overcome. Inevitably, though, big changes slow down and we hit a plateau in our recovery. Things aren't getting worse, but they just have hit a period of normal, a status quo, if you will, and that's when we have to make some big decisions. There's no black and white answer as to when we will hit a plateau in our recovery. For many people, after three or four months, things begin to level out. The highs of recovery aren't so high anymore. For others, this period happens at around nine months to a year. For many of the rest of us, we hit various plateaus throughout our recovery journey. When these plateaus appear, it's imperative that we pay attention to them. I can't tell you the number of people that I've known that relapse during these periods of normal. Why are these periods of relative calm so dangerous for us? The simple answer is, we are used to chaos. We are used to extreme highs and extreme lows. Things are either going extremely well, or our whole world is a blazing dumpster fire. We don't do status quo very well, and we don't do normal well at all. When we begin to hit these plateaus in our recovery, our addict and alcoholic mind begins to worry that something is wrong. We expect that at any moment the bottom is going to drop out of our life. We do this with all areas of our life, and not just our recovery, though. For example... In the relationship that I'm in now, a few months ago, I realized that everything was going pretty well. We didn't fight and we didn't argue. We spent time with each other and there was mutual respect. There was no chaos, no fighting, and no lying. So what did I do? I began to wonder what was really going on.
What had I missed? Where were the red flags that I was so used to seeing? So I started looking for them. I assure you that if you look for problems long enough and hard enough, you're going to find them. Fortunately, I was able to catch myself before I went too far down the rabbit hole. But the fact is, we look for problems even when problems don't exist. If we can't find any problems, often we will create them on our own. We are masters of creating self-fulfilling prophecies, and then we act surprised when the prophecies come to fruition. Another commonality between many addicts and alcoholics is our ability to get bored easily. When life is calm and there's no active chaos, we confuse this normal period with a period of boredom. Boredom is a dangerous thing for many of us. Much like the example I talked about earlier, when we get bored, we figure out ways to fill our time, and this isn't always a good idea for us. When we get bored, we can easily revert back to old habits and old behaviors. One of the biggest issues with these periods of relative calm is that we can become restless and discontent. We can begin to feel like we're missing something or that our addiction was never really that bad to begin with. These thoughts start as a whisper but get increasingly louder, and the longer that we hold on to them, they can become overwhelming. We begin to wonder if all the time and effort that we're investing in this recovery process is really worth it. We go to meetings and we do the hard work of discovering things about ourselves and making positive changes. And yet, the big changes that we experienced early in our recovery seem to have slowed down and they don't seem to be there anymore. This can create within us impatience. And impatience can lead us to make very bad decisions. When we fall into this impatient and discontent mindset, we begin to forget the enormous benefits that this program of recovery has bestowed upon us. We begin to forget how dark our last bottom was. It's been said that if a person forgets their last drunk or their last high, it's not their last one. And experience has shown me that this is true. The farther that we get away from the chaos of our active addiction, the more unreal it seems the more we forget about and the more we begin to rationalize that it wasn't really that bad. We forget to appreciate the countless small blessings that we are now surrounded by, such as the family that has grown just a little bit more trusting of us, the new friends that we've made in and outside of the 12-step rooms, the job promotion that came about because of our improved work ethic and performance, the finances that aren't always in the negative, and the fact that we didn't eat our lunch out of a thick plastic tray in a jail cell today. What we have to understand is that these periods aren't boring or suspect. They aren't flat and they aren't periods of time when nothing is happening. These periods of calm and normal, these are the rewards for all the hard work that we've invested. Yet, we see them as uncomfortable and foreign. One of the reasons that we pick up chips, coins, and tags is to signify our progress. These are essential because they serve as reminders of the progress that we have made. These chips and tags aren't some magic thing or priceless artifacts. Honestly, they have little if any real value. Yet, the chips that I hold are worth more to me than many of my possessions. We work hard for these symbols, and we endured a lot of hell just to hold on to those pieces of metal or plastic. But we don't walk this recovery path for chips or even so that we can thump our chest and talk about how long we've been sober. 
I know numerous people that claim to have been sober for decades. But honestly, I wouldn't want their recovery. We have to remember that we started this journey for reasons far greater than obtaining tokens or medallions. Likewise, we haven't invested all this hard work and effort just to brag about how much time that we've been dry. We started walking this path because we needed to, and for many of us, because our life depended upon it. I've often said that real recovery is the difference between those that have gotten clean to avoid consequences and those who have chosen to authentically embrace their recovery. Now, before you think that I'm being critical, please understand this. I didn't start my recovery journey with an authentic desire to be sober. At best, I was trying to shut other people up. I was trying to look good for the courts and for the people that were threatening to take my law license. I had no real intention of staying sober. I was simply going through the motions. Now, there's no wrong reason to get sober. And I hate it when I see the old members of the 12-step community who look down their nose at the men and women that bring in their probation forms to meetings to get signed. Maybe those people aren't there for the right reasons. But who cares? They're there. Maybe they aren't ready to get sober yet. But how does this make them any different than the rest of us that have started and stopped our recovery journey over and over again? While there's no bad reason to get sober, a bad reason won't keep you sober. In the beginning of my recovery, I was trying to manipulate the system and I was going through the motions. I used the 12-step rooms to benefit my ulterior motives. Even though my intentions were bad, I began to see something in those rooms. The people that were there, they were welcoming. They didn't question my motives for being there, even though I had to have my probation form signed. They hugged me, told me that they loved me, and they wanted to know about me. I saw within them a joy that I didn't have, and I got curious about how they got it. Without meaning to, I began to see small positive changes in my life. The longer that I kept drugs and alcohol out of my system, the better that I began to feel and the better that I began to look. I was learning to sleep through the night. I was eating better, and the relationships in my life were improving, slowly at first. I may not have come into the rooms for the right reasons, but I was beginning to see that the more effort that I invested, the more benefits that I received. After this, I went from a reluctant participant to a willing member of the recovery community. I began to see a pink cloud of hope and promise in my life, and I was smiling for the first time in a very long time. At about four months, though, something happened. I was sitting in a 12-step meeting, and a man began to share, and frustration immediately crept over me. I had heard this guy's story before, many times. Anyone that has ever been in a 12-step room knows this person. This is the person that shares regardless of what the topic is, and they generally say the same thing. I began to ask myself, why am I here? I have heard all this stuff before. I know the serenity prayer. I know the steps even though I hadn't really worked them, and I didn't need a meeting to help me read the book. I began to believe that attending meetings was a waste of my time. I began to convince myself that I could do all this recovery work on my own, without the meetings. I began to believe that my life had grown boring. As sick as it sounds, I missed the chaos of my active addiction. The late nights, the risky behavior, the dangerous and the toxic relationships. I missed them. 
One thing that we rarely talk about in treatment or in the 12-step rooms is that one area of our recovery journey is recovering from our active lifestyle. Yes, removing the substances from our life is important, but many of us have become addicted to more than just a substance. We've become addicted to the chaos of our using life. When I first walked into the 12-step rooms, the old guys would tell me to play the tape all the way through. When I would start romanticizing my drinking and drugging, they would encourage me to mentally start from the first drink and play it through to the end. Recently, I was talking to a young man that was barely 18 years old. He was trying to decide if he needed help with his drug habit. Now, mind you, he used the word habit, not me. He had just been released from jail and was coming to meetings not because he wanted to, but because he was required to by his probation officer. Anyway, he was a few months white-knuckle clean, but said that he kept fantasizing about using. I told him to play the tape all the way through. This little asshole looked at me with utter confusion because he had no idea what I was talking about. The more that I tried to explain what a tape was to him, the older that I felt. Regardless of that, eventually I was able to get through to him that he had to take that first hit or that first drink and project it all the way to the end. Had he ever been able to have just one hit or just one drink? And what made him think that this time would be any different? This is what we as alcoholics and addicts have to do for ourselves every time the boredom or the normal begins to creep into our recovery. I will admit this to anyone that wants to listen. I wish that I could have a drink. I liked the taste of beer and I loved a good scotch. But it's poison for me. And because of that, I can't have just one. In the 12-step rooms, you will often hear people talk about the pause. The pause is simply that moment when we stop and think about our thoughts before we turn them into our actions. I can't tell you the number of times that I've thought about having a drink over the past six years. It's easily in the thousands of times. However, each time that that thought enters my mind, I have to pause and think about where that drink will lead me. We are a hard-driving people. We know only two speeds, stop and 100 miles an hour. This recovery journey, at its core, is designed to help us slow down and acknowledge that speedometer has more than zero and 100 on it. 100 miles an hour feels great until we wreck, and zero feels good until we wake up a year down the road and realize that we haven't gone anywhere. We have to learn to see the normal and quiet and calm periods of our recovery for what they are. They are rewards that we've worked hard to receive. Each and every one of you deserve a life that you don't have to survive. You deserve a life that is worth living. Thank you for tuning in and to continue to support the Forest Fire's journey. We've now reached over 2,200 downloads and I'm amazed by the progress. Continue to reach out and help each other on this journey. Lift another alcoholic or addict up and continue to share the light of hope for those that still struggle in the darkness. As always, stay reachable, stay teachable, and stay humble. Thank you.